And so it was, verse 13, back in our text, that when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Now it's going to be a, it's going to be a worship service, and there's going to be a cost involved, isn't it? There's going to be time. Can you imagine? they got a ten-mile trip to make, and every six paces as they go, they were slaughtering animals along the way to atone for their sin as they were going. Can you imagine how long that took? It probably took all day. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. After the tragedy in the first attempt to move the ark, David specifically commanded the priests to carry the ark the right way on their shoulders and stopping every six paces to conduct a burnt offering to the Lord. We often think that a new cart or strength or a friendly manner is a way to bring the presence and glory of God. But God always wants His presence and glory to come on the shoulders of consecrated, obedient, praising men and women. David was wise enough to know that the problem with the first attempt wasn't that it was a big production, but that it was a big production that came from man and not God. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he finalizes chapter 6. And the ends never justify the means, right? It's never good to do a good thing in a wrong way. Rather, a good thing has to be done in the right way or a godly way. It must be done that way. Because God is just as concerned about the journey. He's concerned about the means as much or more so than the end result. If God wants to make, if God told you in advance that he was going to make you wealthy and you decide to help him out, you decide to do some crooked business on the side so that you'll be wealthy, the ends don't justify the means. God can do anything. He can take a life that is nothing and make it something. He can speak something into existence when previously there was nothing. Is he not God Almighty? Can't he do those things? He can. In Romans 15, it says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures we might have hope. They were written for our understanding, for our encouragement. Also, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, it says, These things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition. These things are written so that we might learn. And that's why God had it written in Exodus. This is the way I ought to be worshipped. This ark cannot come in on a new cart, and God allowed it. Do you see the grace of God? I mean, can you see it? Because he was going to allow it. Because they were all excited. David was twirling and whirling and just completely lost in abandonment. And God says, and he saw the people. And you can imagine the heart of God just blowing up at that moment. And he's like, oh, they're, they're not doing what I told them to do. But you know what? They're genuine. <laughs> They're so genuine. I just can't touch it, right? 
But there was a line. And they crossed that line. And notice verse 8. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. He was angry. He was frustrated. He thought he was doing the right thing. He knew that the ark of God belonged in Jerusalem where the center of worship was to be. He knew that it was the right thing. And not only that, but he was humiliated. This was a watershed moment in the history of the country. Do you realize that? It had never happened where they had the right, the right king on the throne at the right time in the right place. They wanted to do the right thing, but they did it the wrong way. And yet, people are lined up all along the road from Kirjath Jerim all the way to Jerusalem. They're lined up all along, and they're just praising God every step of the way as this thing is taken by the cart, you know, and they're just singing and dancing. And people are thinking to themselves, we're going to remember this day for the rest of our lives. We're going to tell of this event to our kids and our grandkids and our great grandkids. We will remember this event, this event was a watershed moment for them as a nation. And to think of how humiliated David was when as that ark was moving and all of a sudden that act happened with Uzzah, all of a sudden the cheering stopped, the trumpet stopped blowing, the timbrels stopped timbreling, <laughs> the music, everything came to a screeching halt and David's just, he's like, why did this happen? God, I thought you, I thought you wanted me to do this. This was the last thing to really secure the kingdom to me, Lord. You called me to this place, and I know you have. You, you spoke by Samuel. You spoke by Jonathan. You spoke in so many ways, and here I am, and now this. What is going on? And he was angry. He was frustrated. He was humiliated. And it says in verse 9 that David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of God come to me? And at this point, David was unaware of the reason. He really did not genuinely know. And why didn't Abiathar? Abiathar was that Levite who had traveled with David when he was running from Saul. He was a Levite. Shouldn't he have known this? Shouldn't he have come up to David right in the beginning as they were getting ready to put that thing on the ark and Abiathar comes up with, David, I don't think that's a good idea. Why didn't he do it? Maybe because they saw the enemy do it. And it worked. And it was more convenient. Required no which is easier, to put the thing on the ark and let the cows do it and just go along and, you know, and, and worship? Or is it more by sticking that thing on your shoulders, four guys, one on each corner, and they lift that thing and they walk for ten miles? Which is going to cost more? Which was what God wanted, even though it would require more energy, more effort, and probably give those guys a pretty good nod on their shoulder by the end of the day? So David, verse 10, would not move the ark of God with him into the city of David. But David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. This man, Obed-Edom, his name means a servant of the God of Edom. A servant of the God of Edom. This may have been a man who was a Philistine, who, who um, was loyal to David still. Remember, David had some Philistine loyalists to him when he was with the Philistines. And certainly this man now knows that David's king. It's very possible. He may have been from Gath, because he's a Gittite, which usually means that a person is from Gath. There are some who believe he might have been a proselyte to the Jewish faith from the paganism of Philistine. And there are some who even believe that he might have been a Levite himself. We don't really know too much about it, but... 
Let's go on to verse 11. So the ark remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. Wouldn't it be interesting? Again, this is just a conjecture, but wouldn't it be just like God to, to bring this thing into a, uh, into a house of a man who was originally a Philistine, but turned to the Jewish faith? <laughs> That would be just like the Lord to do that, right? David, you're the, you're the king. You're right from the line of Judah. I'm going to come right straight through your line, but I'll allow this man who came from questionable origins, a pagan lifestyle, pagan community, a pagan family who'd been worshiping idols, but now was converted, of course. I'm going to put it in his house. I don't know. It's just interesting. Now it was... Verse 12, that it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark out of the house of Obed-Edom into the city with gladness. I'd like for you to put in, right between, right after verse 12, I want you to put a scripture reference because we're going to look at 1 Chronicles chapter 15. Put in your margin right there between verse 12 and 13, 1 Chronicles chapter 15. Verses 1 through 17, or just put First Chronicles 15, because what happens here at, right after this breach with Uzzah, this passage that we're looking at tonight doesn't tell us what happened in between those two attempts to bring the Ark of the Covenant in. It tells us, it gives us the ultimately what happened, it gives us the ultimate success story in Second Samuel 6. But notice what it says in First Chronicles 15. It says, David built for himself houses in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. And David said, no one may carry the ark of God. Because remember, they, they, they brought it on a cart. And so in between verse 12 and 13 is, is some time, weeks, maybe a couple of months, where David's figuring this out, and he does. And it tells us right here in First Chronicles 15 what happened. He says, ah, no one may carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. And David gathered all of Israel together at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. And notice it says that David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites. And he lists a bunch of names here. And then he said to them, You are the heads of your father's houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I have prepared for it. In verse 13, he says why? He says, For because you did not do it the first time. There's the problem. The first time we did this, guys, you didn't do it. I was ignorant of it, but nobody mentioned it. And here's why. You didn't do it the first time, and the Lord our God broke out against us. Because we did not consult him about the proper order. See, God is a God of order. He's not just justifying the ends by the means or, or the means by the, you know, to the ends. He, he's very clear about these things. And so it was, verse 13, back in our text, that when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Now it's going to be an it's going to be a worship service, and there's going to be a cost involved, isn't it? There's going to be time. Can you imagine? They got a 10-mile trip to make, and every six paces as they go, they were slaughtering animals along the way to atone for their sin as they were going. Can you imagine how long that took? It probably took all day. I bet those Levites are taking large steps. That's what I'd be doing. I'd be, taking, I'd be stretching out and... 
And notice, it says that David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. Certainly not feigning to be a priest at all. We know that the only king, priest, and and prophet was Jesus himself. But we see a foreshadowing here of Jesus Christ through David. But David wasn't taking the place of a Levi. He was just being a king of Israel, completely blown out on this joyous occasion. And, you know, David now knowing that God was pleased. God was pleased now that he, they were doing it the right way. And they finally got it in there, into the, into the tent that he had made for it. And now it even became, it was more jubilant because now he knew that God was pleased with him. He was pleased with their, the way that they were doing it. Not just the fact that they got it there, but the, the means to the end. He, and, and God was pleased. I love this. We have the peace of God because we have peace with God. We've made peace with him by what? By means of the cross. Therefore, as Christians, as believers, we can have the peace of God that passes all understanding, right? We can have the peace of God when everything is falling apart, when the hurricane has destroyed your house, when the tornado has broken through, when you've lost a loved one, when you've smashed your car up and you don't have a job and your wife has left you and the dog has bit you and your pickup truck is burning oil. (laughs) You can have the peace of God. You can. Have the peace of God in the midst of storms. We know that. So David, notice verse 15, And all the house of Israel brought up the ark of God with shouting with the sound of the trumpet. I would encourage you, we don't have time tonight, but mark in your margins of the Bible Psalm 24. Because it talks about the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. That's a synopsis of that psalm, but David wrote, many believe, this psalm for that purpose of bringing that ark into Jerusalem. And it would be so fitting. Verse 16, it says, As the ark of the Lord came into the city, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. I'm totally amazed and convicted by the worship of David. You know, I, I think our worship could be a little more lively. You know, honestly. And it's not the worship leader's fault. But, you know, just to, to really lighten up a little bit. If it gets too out of hand, we'll, we'll address it when it does. But you know what? I think we could stand to loosen up a little bit and be genuine in our worship. There, there is a fine line, and, and you, you understand what I'm saying, but the, you know, sometimes, I, I've been in churches, and we're not one of them, but I've been in churches where people are, it's like a mausoleum. Shouldn't we be joyful about our God? Shouldn't, it just, shouldn't we be clapping our hands and, and lifting our voices, regardless of how we sound? There was a woman many years ago who sat right in the front row, wonderful woman, and I know who she is to this day. She's a wonderful gal great heart of worship, a real worshiper, but she was tone deaf. And she would, and, and, and I loved her dearly, and she would sing, and it would actually throw me off, because I'm, I'm listening, I'm, I'm singing in pitch, at least I think I am, right? I'm deceiving myself. But I'm, I'm trying to sing, and I hear someone singing way off key, and I'm like trying to get back to center again, and it was a real trial for a while. But her heart of worship blew mine away. And some days I thought she should be up there and I should be sitting. 
So, so don't worry about how you sound. Don't worry about how you look. Let's worship God again. Let's worship God again and not be so stiff and stifled and starched. Let's break out of it. Say, God, do it. And David, look at him. And real worship does that. It provokes people one way or another. They're either going to join you or they're going to criticize you of it. And there is a line. Don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand me. There are people who worship and they're writhing on the ground and doing all kinds of aberrant things. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking real, genuine, loving God. I could care less about who's sitting next to me. I'm just going to sing to you. You alone, God. I'm going to sing to you. Oh, man, I want to get back to that. I need to do that more. I want to remember who he is again and really treat him and sing about him like I'm standing before him because that's really what we're doing. But real worship provokes a response. Do you remember what happened when Mary, Lazarus' sister, it tells us this in John chapter 12 in the first eight verses. I'll summarize it quickly because we're running out of time. I should be ending now. But... She pours out this costly vial of alabaster, um, or or this uh, ointment, this perfume, a very precious commodity, very precious. She poured it out on Jesus' head and Judas, because he was the treasurer, he got all indignant. He's like, what is she doing? She could have sold that thing. We could have fed 18 families for a year. What's the matter with you, woman? And Jesus says, oh, you leave her alone. She's done this for my burial. And that ointment was so costly. And she poured it out on Jesus. And isn't that like the world will always respond and say, you are being completely, you've lost your mind. You could have given that to the Father's heart ministry. You could have given that to someone. You could have given that to many charities. You could have done so many great things, and you poured out on Jesus' head, and Jesus had no problem with it. He said, this woman's going to be remembered because it's going to be recorded in Scripture, and he made sure that her name was written. And that wasn't the first time that happened either. So they brought the ark of the Lord, verse 17, and they set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. And then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, so the altar was there too because he's offering burnt offerings, right? So the altar's there. The, uh, the, the, the ark of the covenant is there now. And certainly the, 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 the lampstand and then the table of showbread and the, off, the altar of incense and then behind the veil, the Ark of the Covenant. After that, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude, men and women, a piece of meat, a piece of bread, cake of raisins. And all the people departed, everyone to his house. Notice, but David returned to his house, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and says, How glorious was the king of Israel today. You know, David, you really made a fool of yourself, and all the ladies are looking at you. And isn't that true about life and about worship too? Whenever there's a real worship, there's always going to be somebody pointing the finger. And Michal didn't have nearly the heart that David did. 
Instead of getting involved in it herself and being joyous, she criticized David and put him down and, and just pointed the finger at him. And, and this is the greatest moment and, and probably one of the top greatest moments in Israel's history ever. And isn't there always a fly in the ointment when great things happen, when God finally gets that thing in there and it's the right time, the right thing, the right king on the right throne at the right time? Everything is great, and then it's like... There's always a fly, and there's always something that comes to kill it. Some thing happens. Have you noticed that in your own life? You get something done. You've accomplished something really great. Maybe you've been waiting for years. And all you want is an hour of peace. To have a nice dinner with your spouse and enjoy the moment that you've been waiting for for so long. And all of a sudden, right when you're about ready to eat your salad before dinner, you get a phone call. <laughs> and then you ignore it. And then it keeps buzzing and it keeps buzzing. Finally, you pick it up and, you know, someone in your family is, you know, in prison, you know, or been arrested or something, and then it just kills it, you know. So David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all of his house to anoint me ruler over the people, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. I love this. And I'll be even more undignified than this. Let me show you what real work. <laughs> I just love David in this. I, just, I want to hear the tone. I want to see the expressions on their face. Lord, can you rewind the tape and let's see this thing happen in real time, you know. And, um, and I will be humble in my own sight, but as far as the maidservants of whom you have spoken by them, I'll be held in honor. And therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Really unfortunate thing for this gal. But her heart was not like David's. Instead of worshiping with him, she criticized him. But worship is serious, isn't it? It's a very important thing that we do. And we worship the Lord in everything. And don't try to make it convenient. Try to resist making it easy all the time. And again, I'm not saying do something phony, but remember that at the center of worship is sacrifice. Whatever that means. It could be your time. It could be, and you know, you've got this great event to go to, but you promised someone at the church that you go and help out on this certain day and yet you've got this great opportunity that you maybe you've been waiting for and you say, you know what, I'm going to go and serve. I, told, I said I was going to be there. I'm going to do it. Is it a sacrifice? Yes. Is God going to honor you for it? Yes. Sacrifice is at the heart of worship. Let's stand and pray. Thank you for hanging in there with me. I know it's long which I never do. I usually go for like 30 minutes and I'm done. But <laughs> I love this chapter though. Don't you? There's a lot there. So Father, we just thank you and pray that you would encourage us as we uh, just continue to grow, Lord, in our worship of you, Father. And I pray that, Father, none of us would feel guilty or feel condemned in any way, but God, we would just examine our own hearts and everything we do and be willing to sacrifice where necessary, in whatever way it is, in whatever way it is. There are many ways that we can worship you, Lord. So help us tonight. Bless our day. Bless our day tomorrow. Get us home safely, Lord. We love you, and we thank you, Jesus, for taking the greatest sacrifice that we might be heirs of the kingdom, that we might be heirs to your throne, seated with you in heavenly places. And only because of your blood, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.